That's not on. Um, So uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua 8, though, and I do want to give some some remarks and some reminders of where we are just to set up the video a little bit. And uh, just to get back into our... um, our mindset here, and I know it's like, uh, I feel like, like such whiplash because, you know, you're just thinking about 2022 Japan, and now we're going to go back uh, about 3,400 years to Israel. And, uh, you know, that, that's like a lot of like cultural and, you know, chronological whiplash. But in a way, I, I just, even as you're sharing, Dave, I was thinking like, what does this, what do these events here have to do with why, you know, poor Dave and Tomo are, are toiling in, in Japan. They're intimately connected. That what Joshua is doing here in building an altar after the success in Jericho and Ai has everything to do with God and his holy character and his law. It has everything to do how they, as this privileged nation, had every advantage, and yet they could not serve and honor the Lord as the way they ought, just like every other nation and world uh, or or group of people on the planet has failed to honor the Lord, whether Japan or America, whether uh, Indians or, you know, those in, in Africa. No one has been able to honor the Lord, and that includes the Israelites, And here, as we see a proclamation, really the two key words are going to be blessings and cursings, blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. We already know how the story goes for them, that they are going to suffer the cursings of disobedience, because none of us, not any one of us, can honor God the way we should. So the story here of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, 34 100 years ago, the story of the Japanese people now, the story of your life is that all of us fall short of God's glory. All of us deserve a curse. God should judge right and wrong. Do we want wicked things to be condemned and wicked things to be punished? Of course, we want there to be consequences when bad things are done. But if we truly hold God to that standard consistently, then who could stand before a holy God? Who could earn his blessings. So there is a connection. There is a straight line even between this text, Japan, this text, and our lives. <clears throat> so Joshua 8, I'm going to read 30 through 35, which is the text that we're in. Uh, again, I'll set up just a few uh, thoughts and ideas, and then I'm going to show you this, um, this video. And it's uh, actually some of the developments in the archaeology is literally from this year. Some arguably some of the most uh, significant discoveries since the Dead Sea Scrolls. So very, very recent discoveries. Um, I'd got, definitely gotten a rabbit hole. Or a not, rabbit hole? What, what's the phrase? Is that the right phrase? Just rabbit, like just like, whoa, this is like really recent and new, and it just started digging into it. So let me read the passage, and then um, I'll give yeah, some introductory remarks, and then we'll, we'll get to the video. So after the success at AI, after the defeat at AI, after the success at Jericho, Here's what happens next. At that time, Joshua built an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, 
He wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourners as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel." And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Now, first slide, if you could bring that up, Victor. Uh, We'll have a map just for you visual folks. There we go. Um, and so if uh, you remember, they had crossed the Jordan from Shittim over to just outside of Jericho. And uh, when they entered Jericho, you had, of course, the, the whole of victory there where they went around the city, this great walled city, seven times over seven days. The seventh day, they went around seven times, shouted, blew trumpets, walls fall down, they conquered Jericho. Then you remember they headed uh, west um, over to Ai, and you remember the story of Achan, how Achan had taken something from Jericho he ought not to because all the spoils were to be for the Lord. And uh, they suffered a great defeat at Ai because of this man's hidden sin. His sin gets found out. He gets, you know, basically stoned, all him and all his family. And then they once again attack Ai, which we talked about last week. And they do conquer Ai. And um, from there, they go north up to Shechem, which is a city that lay between these two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Um, the town of Shechem is nestled in a valley. When you think of a mountain, don't think of um, like Mount Everest. Uh, think of like the hills out here, Saddleback, maybe even not that tall. Actually, the next one is a picture of it, yeah? Go to the next one. There we go. So um, not, not super tall at all, uh, and there's about like a mile that separates these two cities. So on the one hand, um, not, not, uh, you could fit the entire you know, people of Israel there and have half on one side, half on the other. And there is a natural amphitheater effect that you could talk and people would be able to hear and you can hear across it. So um, from what I've heard, that, that all pans out. Moses had commanded Joshua that when they had come into the land, they would go to this place and essentially um, renew the covenant. Now, we won't read all of it, but you see here uh, multiple times that uh, they did all that was written in the, law, in the book of the Law of Moses. Well, that is referring to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 27. And if you want to turn there, you can, um, but we'll talk about it probably more uh, next week. Essentially, what you have is Moses telling the elders and all the people of Israel, when you come into the land and cross over the Jordan, you're going to make an altar. And then you're going to write there on stones covered with plaster the words of this law. And you are going to split the tribe, six on one, six on the other mountain. And you are going to like yell across to each other the blessings and the cursings. Now, I do want to... I do want to proclaim these cursings just so you get an idea of what they're shouting over here from Mount Ebal. All right, this is Deuteronomy 27 and uh, verse 15. 
Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to Yahweh, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and set it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So you just imagine them saying that, and then an Amen resounding through that, that valley. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law, by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now you have almost as a flip side in chapter 28, the blessings for obedience, which would have then been proclaimed on Mount Gerizim. But then if you look at the rest of Deuteronomy 28, see uh, from 15 on to um, verse 68, a lot of cursings again. Um, a lot of cursings. <laughs> it's one of the longest chapters in Deuteronomy, and it's long because it's essentially, it's almost like a prophecy of them, uh, of the history of Israel, because they are not going to obey the commands of God. The cursings are far more numerous than the blessings. Now, it's interesting that um, Gerizim, there's springs and vegetation and life over there and on Ebal it's desolate there's nothing there's nothing up on the hill you can't quite tell as much but I believe on Ebal there's only like a military fortress which is relatively recent whereas on the other side you definitely have a lot more life and settlements but basically they're just stones on on Ebal and yet Joshua builds the altar that they're going to sacrifice animals to on which mountain the mount of blessing or the mount of cursing Amount of cursing. Why? Because they are going to mess up. And what would they need to do if they wanted to be right with the Lord? If you haven't done the right thing to, to land yourself on, on Gerizim, you would need to offer sacrifices. This is a grace of God uh, given to them because uh, it, it's saying essentially, you are going to deserve more often than not the cursings of God because of your disobedience. But if you will offer sacrifice. If a blood of an animal is spilt for you, you can be forgiven. Uh, it's, it's interesting that Ebal is the site of worship, um, and there's the, the altar built. Now, we're going to get more into that um, next week, because these, this place actually figures into other um, moments in Bible history uh, and so on. But coming into now the archaeology, uh, just a few comments, and then we'll go to the yeah we'll go to the uh, video. Archaeology in Israel is a relatively new thing. You know, a couple hundred years, 
And unfortunately, the beginning of it was sort of like, um, like very uh, much about like treasure hunting. Just like in, in Egypt, you know, they would, they would go and kind of loot the tombs and things like that. Once Israel kind of became on the map for that kind of thing, uh, it wasn't like a scientific thing, <laughs> in other words, archaeology. So many discoveries have been relatively recent as far as significant archaeological discoveries like the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, and, um, and the thing I'm going to talk about uh, today. There's also the issue with um, the fact that the land has changed hands and is disputed over the past uh, few decades, conflict with the Palestinian Authority that has created problems because, uh, unfortunately, they have sometimes not handled the, um, uh, the archaeological sites very carefully. Sometimes they'll just dig stuff up and throw things in a pile. Well, what's the problem if you're trying to do very careful archaeological work and you just get a bulldozer and you grab all the dirt and just throw it in a big dump pile? Uh, well, it gets all mixed up because it's all about layers. Archaeology is all about layers. You know, the deeper you go, typically the older it is. Well, what happens if that all gets mixed up? You don't know where and when uh, these things were discovered. So there is always going to be a little bit, oftentimes with archaeology in Israel, some openness to debate and, you know, some things you can, um, you can kind of uh, dispute, sometimes discoveries. Now, uh, that leads us to a certain man, Adam Zertal. Adam Zertal was a secular Jew um, in the middle of the 1900s, early middle 1900s. He was very secular, um, lived on a kibbutz, a total a communist, and he had only heard that the Bible was not true, and all archaeologists in Israel basically saw no validity to the Bible's historical claims. They did not think it gave an accurate account of history. So when they found discoveries, they didn't even necessarily bother to try and reconcile. They didn't think Joshua even existed as a person. They didn't think that he went into the land and conquered. So almost all of Joshua, they would see as myth or fairy tale. So he lived in that kind of world, and that was pretty much everyone. But he was interested in archaeology. He was interested in investigating some of these claims. So he went around Israel, and uh, he found so much that corroborated the Bible that he came to change his mind. He came to believe, I don't know if he became a believer per se, but he certainly believed that this recorded accurately history. And one such discovery was of an altar on Mount Ebal. Secular archaeologists, again, tending to be skeptical of any kind of claims the Bible is true, they kind of preconditioned themselves not to believe. So, of course, you can find things that are going to dispute this, but he went to Mount Ebal. There's essentially just stones everywhere. He found a rectangular altar site that was very old, like 1200s BC or so. There was um, sacrificial um, there's bones of sacrificial animals. It was definitely an altar, but it's kind of new. But as he kind of dug around more, he found another altar that this altar had been built on top of. Now, that altar was circular. It was made of uncut stones, and it was older, dating to maybe 13 or 1400 B.C. Joshua, again, this happens around 1400 B.C. It was shocked to discover pieces of plaster, just like uh, Moses had commanded that they write um, the law on, and uh, it was Israelite. It was definitely an Israelite altar. So when he found this, it definitely changed his mind about where the 
Jews even here at this time? Did did any of the events of the Bible happen? Well, all of a sudden, he was uh, face-to-face with this evidence. Well, three years ago, a man by the name of Scott Stripling, wanting to find, and um, after Adam Zertal died, he wanted to do a little bit more research because it's a really fascinating altar. I mean, almost certainly, and you're going to see, you know, some of the, the, the video of it. You're looking at the thing here in Joshua 8. Or when you see the, the circular, I think they show a picture of the circular one underneath the, the rectangle one. You're looking at things that are over 3,000 years old. Almost certainly that, that circle of uncut stone is Joshua's altar. It just, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of a, an incredible thought. So he wanted to do some more digging, this uh, man by the name Scott Stripling with the Associates for Biblical Research. And he came across a little lead tablet about this big that was, it was like a little book closed in on itself. And on this tablet was, was the word for curse. It was a curse tablet. It's basically, may I be cursed by God if I do this? And just says curse all over it. And this is a common thing, um, actually, even in Roman times that you'd write these curses, almost like a legal document. If I don't do what I said I'm going to do, made these cursings. But this one was unique. It said, cursed would I be by Yahweh, God. As in Hebrew, or even, a, it's not in Hebrew, it's in an early, early form of proto-Canaanite. We'll talk about that a little bit. It even predates Paleo-Hebrew. Got to be a little bit of a, you know archaeology nerd, but understand, this is very early text. We're talking about like um, the earliest forms of written language, kind of early, is written on this little lead tablet, speaking of cursings from Yahweh. Same kind of, of ideas and thoughts as we just read in Deuteronomy 27 and Joshua 8. They found it there, and it dates almost certainly to the time of Joshua. It's incredible. It, it also, it's, they're gonna, the, the paper on this, the peer-reviewed journal, is going to come out in a, in a, in a month or two. Actually, they're gonna, they have a live stream thing next week if you want to watch it. It's on Sunday, but I have a feeling that might be you know, saying much more. So this is like now. This is, this is research happening now, being unveiled now. Um, almost certainly, maybe possibly even, something from the time of Joshua himself, because it was something intentionally brought to this altar and maybe like buried there. Um, so very, very fascinating, fascinating stuff that just, it, it tells you, it's speaking to you from 3,400 years ago, speaking to you now about the truth of the Bible. So I hope it ministers to you. Uh, Victor, if you want to go ahead and, and start that up. Hopefully there's audio through the speakers. for Israel and I have with us today Ron Silberman. He's one of my favorite tour guides here in Israel and a great brother in the Lord and we were discussing together this whole thing of this new tablet that was discovered and it's all over the news. I'm sure you might have heard of it. In Samaria where Joshua's altar is believed to be found, they found something that changes kind of the whole historical books. Tell us a little bit about what they found. Yeah, so they found a a very small lead tablet that some people say it's an amulet or not exactly sure, but with very ancient Hebrew inscription that right. appeared to be the oldest ever found. 
Wow. It's amazing. And uh, it's 200 years earlier than anything found before that in Hebrew. Hmm. Now, we know for sure that it's Hebrew. You know, the letters are not Hebrew letters. Those are the same letters were used by the Canaanites, by the Israelites, by the Edomites, just like Latin is, is used by in many languages. Mm. The same, yeah. those proto-Canaanite writing, they call it, they used, how do we know that it's Hebrew? Because there is the name of the Lord, yud Hey vav Hey. Actually, wow. there it's only the three letters, yud Hey vav That's only the Israelites use the name of the Lord. In There's nobody except the Israelites use it. So we know wow. for sure that's Hebrew. And uh, also some of the words that are certainly Hebrew. Um, yeah, that's quite an amazing. And it's a very, very small, like two centimeters on two centimeters. And, um, and the amazing story is how... How they got to find this? Yeah. So, uh, Mount Ebal is well, maybe a few words about the mountain. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, in the north of Samaria, one of the highest mountains in Samaria. Um, very desolated. It's it's quite. Uh, you don't see a lot of vegetation on the mountain. No, right. no springs. What you see there, if you go there, just millions of millions of stones. All over stones, right? And uh, and this is very typical to Samaria, but there specifically because you don't see any ancient villages and very little agriculture, local uh, agriculture. What you mainly see there are just stones, and it's a very big mountain. And because of the story that we know from Deuteronomy and from Joshua eight, the story about Mount Ebal, people were looking in the past for an altar there. It made sense in the. Uh, second half of the 19th century, there were some people that were looking for for an altar there. Well, yeah, let's give the context of this. This is in Joshua, God commanded them as they enter into the land that they're to pronounce blessings on Mount Gerizim and curses on Mount Ebal. Like if they don't obey the law, there's the curse. If they obey, there's the blessing. But when you took me to this place, it's amazing, Luke. It's amazing because God wrote the gospel on mountains. He wrote the story on the actual mountains themselves because these two mountains, as close as they are, they're like sister mountains. Right. One's full of springs, life. There's buildings. There's like like you said, one is desolate. There's Mount Ebal. There's nothing on it except right. for a, a military base at the top. That's right. current uh, current day construction. But but nothing on one. Yes. Life and everything on the other. Right. And choose this day whom you're going to serve. There's so much to say about this location, right? Right. So there's really a lot to say about this. But we want to focus today about the, 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 the right. what they found there. And uh, if we, you know the term or, or the expression to look for a needle in a haystack, right? Right. This is exactly the story there. Mm. Because if you go to this, so as, as I said, people were already looking for an altar there. Yeah. And they didn't found. Why they didn't found? They always looked in a, in the location which on the north side of Mount Ebal, because the north side is the side that is opposing Mount Gerizim, and they expected that the altar will be in the same place where there was this uh, event of, of blessing and cursing, which they, right. they stood uh, on the two sides of the valley. So they looked on Mount Ebal on that side, but this no, nobody found any altar there. Mm. And the, when did they start looking? I mean, well, when, when did so, this really start so in the, around the second half of the 19th century, 
dreamers, archaeologists, uh, treasure seekers were coming to Israel. You know, they looked for the treasure of Solomon right. and and all these the people like Indiana Jones. You know that that's concept. They they were looking, uh, especially in Jerusalem, the temple. Mm -hmm. People until today believe that there are uh, some big treasures the somewhere. Ark is hidden the ark, in the yes, caves, right? Yes, yeah. and also the also the altar of Joshua. That was also very exciting for some people, and not so many people. And there was not. Nothing was found. Hmm. And uh, you know that uh, between 1948 and 1967, Israelis could not get to that area. This was right. under the Jordanian uh, law, and uh, Israel was not allowed. There were a few archaeologists that worked in, in Judea and Samaria, but nobody got really to Mount Ebal to, to check there. And um, the, the first person that got there, it was, well, in after 67, Israelis started to to look all over and right. looking for and, and then they discovered that Judea and Samaria are full of many, many little villages, hundreds of them, all over Judea and Samaria. And they started from the time of uh, uh, the beginning of the, like the conquest and after the conquest, this the 12th century BC, more or less. Right. And uh, and that was not known before that. So uh, there's one person that I want to mention here, his name is uh, Dr. Adam Zertal. He's the archaeologist that found the altar. Hmm. Uh, he passed away, uh, I think, um, s several years ago. And uh, he, uh, he was an, uh, an, an archaeologist. He loved uh, the land. He loved Samaria in 67 after, after Israel got into Samaria. He, he, he was born in a kibbutz nearby. And he was going and traveling and looking for the archaeology. He loved this. Mm. But he, he wrote a book about all this story. And, uh, and he said that he read, he learned in the academy, in the university, and he learned that there are many theories about how Israel got, the Israelites got into the land. And the hmm. theories were not what the Bible say, but in the end of the 19th century, Started many theories started to emerge about well that's that the Bible doesn't tell us the real story yeah. something else happened. For example, uh, there's a very famous uh, scholar, German scholar Albrecht Alt, that he come came with the, this idea that the twelve tribes uh, did not exist before before the the uh, renewal of the covenant in Shechem by Joshua. Hmm. So all all the story that we read earlier did not exist. Hmm. Or uh, uh, Martin Knott, uh, who, who was uh, actually a soldier in the in the German army in World War II, hmm. he came with other ideas about. Um, uh, oh, okay, uh, no, Albert Acht also, uh, Al Albrecht Alts also spoke about the uh, quiet invasion. The people didn't conquer the land, but those were tribes that came from the east. The Israelites, they just little by little conquered. And, and they, they, there was no Joshua, right? All these stories not, did not exist, really. And the thing about Adam Zertal, when he read all those people, all what they wrote, he asked himself, why did they, read, why did they yeah. write that? Did they check the land? What evidence do you have right. for even such a wild and crazy theory? They didn't have any evidence. No. But they came with, uh, they, well, especially Alt had his... Um, ideas of socio sociology that just started to emerge, mm. how nations are founded, how they're created. If the story of 
of Israel doesn't make sense according to what we know about sociology. So he came with, with other ideas. Yeah. And the same with, with the rest of them. Which, which, of course, it doesn't make sense naturally. Right. The story of Israel doesn't make sense at all naturally. Right. It's, it only makes sense supernaturally. I mean, look, even, even today, the country we live in today does not make sense according to your geopolitical powers and balances and stuff. The story is absolutely only explained supernaturally. You can't understand it any other way. I agree with you. But what happened with, with Adam Zertal, and he, was, he came from a secular environment, and he studied in a university, right. and he started to realize that all these th- uh, theories don't, do not align with the finding what you find in the land. Right. And this intrigued him because he said, well, very nice theories, but I want to see what exactly, let's check the archaeology. Right. And he's and one day in 1980 he got to Mount Ebal, and among all the, the, the tons of stones that you have there, he right. saw one pile of stones, and there were some pieces of broken clays that immediately with the, he he was very experienced. He immediately saw that this this goes back to the Israelite period, right. what we call the Iron Period, or even before that. And uh, he said, "Okay, I'll need to come back here," and and. Then a few years later, he said, I'll, I want to have my PhD about that site. He didn't know anything about site. He just saw a pile of stones. Hmm. And then year after year, they started to excavate. Right. And in the beginning, they discovered that this pile of stone actually is hiding something beneath, beneath it. Someone put the stones on top of something to cover it. And hmm. once they started to take it off, they found underneath something that is not more than 10 on 10 meters uh, that look like come kind of a construction, but nothing similar to anything that we know of. Yeah, it wasn't a house. It wasn't, but, but it was purposefully covered up. Now that's going to be... It was covered that's, up. That's going to yes. be very important for later as you unfold this. Yeah. Yes. And, and he started to... Now he... You know, Mount Ebal, people are talking about what you have a Mount Ebal altar. So, but he wasn't thinking that way because he came from... The, the academy. He didn't think I'm. This is what I want to find. Then I'm finding it. No, yeah. he came. I'm doing. Uh, a, I'm doing it properly. I found a site. Yeah. I want to excavate. I don't know what what I'm going to find. Right. And little by little, they found something very strange. They found a stage, and they found a ramp going up to the stage. Hmm. And and uh, on two sides of the ramp, there were big pits. And then in the second, l- later on, they found in those pits. Tons of ashes and bones, mm. thousands of bones. What kind of bones? And then you say, okay, if you see a village and there right. are bones, then probably this is what people ate or their animals, like their horses yeah. or whatever. Right. But they found only kosher animals, yeah. which is sheep, goats, and surprisingly, they also found some deers there, which are rare, like 20% were deers. Uh, deer is not an, but, but you know, so all kosher, deer is kosher animal. It's right. not, it's not an animal that you're supposed to sacrifice uh, according to the Torah, but mm. it's a kosher animal. Yeah. And none, there was no horse there. There was no donkey there. There was no pig there. And all those yeah. animals lived in the country. So, okay, that's immediately, you know, when, when archaeologists find something like this, he said, okay, first of all, I know this is Israelite. Israelite. Yeah. It's not Canaanite. It's not Philistine, it's Israelite because of the, of the bones. But then why all those bones and the ashes? And he found 
tons of and tons all of concentrated in thousands in a very small district. There was mm. nothing around it, only this place. Wow. So, you know, and all the time there are these thoughts, oh, the altar of Joshua, the altar of Joshua. I know, but he, he works, he's professional, okay? Yeah. So you continue. And then they start to, to found, find these uh, little things that look like an Egyptian beetle. There's stones and scarabs. Yeah. Scarabs. Yeah. Those represent the Egyptians. So what influence of the Egyptians you have here? Well, well so in Canaan, there are many of those scarabs. Right. In many places. In the, in the Canaanite cities. If, but if, if this is an Israelite city, Israelite city, why scarabs here? Maybe the Israelites are connected to Egypt in some way. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> just maybe. Okay. So, <laughs> so the story, but, but he still yeah. doesn't know. And then the whole construction, they don't know what it is. They never saw anything like that. And one day he brings a guy, that an uh, Orthodox Jewish guy, and he shows them this. And he draw, uh, Adam draws this, and like the model of this. And he asks him, do you know what this is? And the guy says, wait a minute. He goes, he comes back to the Mishnah. And yeah. from the Mishnah, he, he quote how they described the, that the altar in the temple was built. Yeah. And the plan, to, the plan of the altar in the temple was exactly what they saw. Right. Look, even if we go back to the Torah, remember in the Torah, it prescribed that this, you could not have steps going up to the altar. Right. It had to be a ramp. Right. And so a kosher altar had to be a ramp, not steps. Now, pagan altars were always steps. Right. So this is huge. It's huge. It's a ramp up to, and you have ash piles of only kosher animals. I mean, how much on the nose could you be? And then for, so, so that was, you know, it's, it's a huge discovery. But right. people, people here, and I grew up in Israel, people didn't talk about this. People didn't know. I mean, yeah. this is probably one of the biggest discoveries in the land, and people don't know about it. Why? Yeah. Why people wouldn't know about this? Because there's so much politics and right. so much oppression to this. And he, he, he speaks about this in his book. First of all, uh, it was with archaeologists. Mm-hmm. If, the, if the whole science of archaeology and, and biblical history say that Joshua never existed, right. and you have, they have this deuteronomistic theory that says that every all those books from Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel and Kings, all those were written only in the 7th century in the time of Josiah. Hmm. So how did they know about in the 7th century? How can they talk about Joshua in the 13th, 14th century BC? Doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. So this didn't exist. And it, when someone comes with the discovery that this is the altar of Joshua. Yeah, you turn the tables. You yeah, flip the tables on these Yeah, guys. no, no, that, that's, that's, you're wrong. It's, you're wrong. You cannot tell us this. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So that's the, the first thing. And he, he invited Yigael Yadin. Yigael Yadin was the icon of archaeology here in Israel in the right. 80s. Right? right? It was the year before he died. He died in 84, I think. Yeah. Adam Zertal invited him here, and he showed him the place. Hmm. He brought with him, Yigael Yadin brought with him some American archaeologists, and they went, and he showed him, he showed him everything and, and explained, and and all that, and then at the end of the day, they ask Yigal Yadin, what, what, what do you think about this? And he said, now, and Adam Sotal is, is, is so anxious, and he wants to know what, what this, my guru, what he wants, to, what he says about what I found here. Mm. And Yigal Yadin just says, 
Maybe, but it also could be a watchtower. <laughs> Why? You have piles of ashes of kosher bones, a ramp that no one builds ramps unless it, it's not that high either. No. I mean, I've been there. So, so even, even on his dying day, he still is persisting. Well, I guess in a way, you think of the pressure. If, if this guy's built his entire career, his entire life around that belief, this site, as much as it seems like just a pile of rubble, that site up, it turns the tables on everything that's been built in the last few hundred years of archaeology and their right. theories. Right. But, but their theories, they're not based on fact. It's their own wishes. Right. It's their own beliefs. Right. And uh, if you talk to archaeologists today, they will tell you that as long as archaeology proceeded, the process of archaeology and finding in Israel during the years, and many of the, of the secular archaeologists will tell you there's more and more evidence that the story of the Bible is, is not correct. But actually, mm. I think it's the other way around. Yeah, it's true. They came with these theories before they started to excavate here. Yeah. The, those theory, theories of, of negating, of, uh, of do not, not believing the story of the Bible came before they were excavating. Right. And when they started to excavate again and again, Yes, yeah, sometimes they didn't ex could not explain everything, but there are more and more evidence. And this story of Mount Bali is really amazing because, mm. and, and when I spoke about the middle, this is not the end of the story because mm. Adam Zertal, he finished his work <coughs> there uh, in the end of the 80s. Right. And he, he, he never got to publish his finding, but uh, he wrote books and, I mean, published in the, in the academy, like in, yeah. in a proper uh, paper. But uh, people... Uh, visit the place, people know the stories, and, uh, and then uh, three or two years ago, or two years ago, there, there's a, a guy, archaeologist from Texas. Yeehaw. Yeah. Scott. And uh, he's very famous. He, he was, uh, he's actually excavating many years in uh, Shiloh. Okay. And uh, he decided, you know, that uh, in the last few, couple, few years, there was a sifting project of soil that came from Temple Mount, and right. because it was illegally taken by the by the wakf, by the Arabs there, and they threw it away. And yeah. once they threw it away, there was everybody knew that there are treasures there. They were, they were taking bulldozers on the Temple Mount and just you know just doing this huge like just tearing up all the ground and stuff. And they were they were trying to hide it. The Palestinian what, the authority that was over the Temple Mount and the Israelis found it. So th this is what they s were sifting through. Right. So but, but it's, when you sift, the problem is that when you find something, it's very difficult to tell to which it's not scientific. Because you, you don't have the strata. Yeah. You don't have the reference. So, for example, they found a Buddha, a little uh, seal with the name of Hezekiah there. But hmm. this is very problematic. So the, it might be King Hezekiah, but it might be someone else because they cannot use this as something scientific because it was found off-site, not in the site, not in okay. situ, but off-site. And that's a big problem. This is from the Jerusalem sifting. They found the seal. Right, the right. Okay. But now when you go to Mount Ebal, Mount Ebal is, is a site of one period only. I mean, there are some, yeah. few, but it's one period. It's not like Jerusalem or, you know, tell... Uh, Megiddo, you have more than 20 different yeah, stratas. Yeah, because it was destroyed and rebuilt, right. destroyed and rebuilt. But Mount Ebal, when he, did, when he excavated there, there actually, he found the, the square 
uh, altar, the, but yeah. the square altar is actually on top of a much or more ancient altar, which is round, and the round one probably is the one that uh, is um, is the one from, from the time Joshua. of Joshua. The, yeah. the square one is probably a bit later. Hmm. But, but that's all there. So everything that you find there is either from the 12th century to the 12th century to the 14th century BC. That, that's, mm. okay. that's what you find. Okay. And then, so uh, the archaeologist from, from Texas, he said, okay, there's this project of sifting. Let's uh, take this idea to Mount Ibal. Let's sift what uh, Adam Zertal left because Adam Zertal, in his, in his time, he didn't have the technology that we have today. Right. Of, uh, of sifting. So they took the soil that was thrown away, that was not so much, and they started to, to sift. And then in, in the end of, of uh, 19, uh, nine, uh, 2019, they found uh, this little lead piece. Now, it took a, a lot of time to decipher it because it was, as they realized, it was something that was um, closed, closed, yeah. closed, and inside and outside something was written. Uh, and they sent it to Prague, to a laboratory, and only recently they published, yeah. and even this is not final, they didn't publish everything, but at least they say that what they found inside was those words about cursing, Aru, Aru, and the name of the Lord, yud Hey vav the God of Israel. Right. And so they, they, they found it two years ago, but they, wow. only, they only were able to decipher it recently, and That's then amazing. they published it. It's amazing. And now when I'm saying about a needle, a needle in a haystack, yeah. think about this huge mountain oh, yeah. with tons and tons, I don't know how, been there. It's the, crazy. The, the, the stones, and then they found this little piece of mm. lead. How, how, you know, how, how we are led to this precise place, precise look, and, and then there you find the most ancient Hebrew inscription from the time of Joshua. From right. the Israelites, and um, it's amazing. And then, and, and and the thing here that when you see more and more evidence, the 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 ones who negate, the ones who say no, this is not a true story, <laughs> they need to always need to come with other yeah. theories, right? They yeah. will not they will not accept the theory. They oh, will no. not accept Joshua. They will come with other explanations and all. I want to welcome you to another episode of Pod for Israel, and I have with us...